How many of you remember your baptism? What does it mean for you today, even if you don't remember it? Baptism is generally a calm event. We slow down, act de deliberately, put on our best behavior, seek to convey the proper respect and honor to both the one being baptized and to the power of God at work. Even if we are getting dunked in a river, we use calm waters, usually. During tough times when it seems like we are fighting just to keep our heads above water, we return to the calm, cleansing waters of our baptism, now flowing through the love of our fellow believers. We return to the sacred place where we have witnessed baptism for the comfort and care promised in our baptismal vows. Remember that when a person is baptized, we who witness make a vow to love and support that person. In doing so, we vow to support all who have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even if we were not present at their baptism, even for people who aren't baptized in our faith tradition. Each of our baptisms, combined together as one baptized people, become a roaring flood of water empowered by the Holy Spirit flowing into our world. Together we can do great things based on our unity in baptism. During the ceremony, it's always meaningful to hear the water as a person is baptized, signifying the Holy Spirit at work and reminding us of our own baptism, whether we can remember it or not. In a reading from Acts, the distinction is made between the baptism of John and the baptism in the name of Jesus. John's baptism was done for the forgiveness of sins, as were the ritual cleansing rites of the Jews it was based on. The main purpose of those rituals was to prepare the person to enter into the sanctuary and worship before God, but also to put the past behind and move forward into a sanctified life. This is also part of the baptism we claim, but there's much more. Jesus certainly didn't need this baptism from John being sinless, but he had to perform it because it was part of his religious practice to be done, quote, to complete all righteousness, unquote. His baptism started like all others before him, but ended differently with the Holy Spirit getting involved. And from then on, being baptized in Christ's name included the imparting of the Holy Spirit. This, of course, means different things to different folks in different traditions, just as the meaning of baptism itself varies and is done at different points in one's faith journey and in different ways, but by all is generally considered to be a rite of passage. Some folks expect speaking in tongues and other wondrous things, and some don't. Some say baptism is required to get into heaven, and some don't. So again, what does your baptism mean to you? Certainly as individuals, our baptism will mean different things, and sometimes for the same person, different things at different times. But what I'd like to discuss today is what baptism means as a corporate practice or rite, especially after the event itself. How do we follow up on it? 
What does that mean for us as a church as we seek to be a faithful community serving Jesus into our larger community? As mentioned before, in baptism, we promise to support each other. Baptism is a sign of our new life in Christ and is also a public sign of our entrance into the people of God. Through baptism, we are one people, not just here, but with all of God's people in the various church traditions. Certainly this can be achieved without baptism, but baptism is our formal rite signifying our belonging to the church and to Jesus. Baptism also signifies our obtaining of all the benefits of belonging to God's people, including the presence of the Holy Spirit within each of us. We are unified in Jesus, in the Spirit, and in the Father, and through baptism we join together as one holy people. As the Spirit came down on Jesus at his baptism, the power of the Spirit is also passed on to us through our baptism into the faith of Jesus. Maybe not as excitingly, but still the Spirit is there. As the church is the body of Christ, the church is his hand at work in our world, the visible manifestation of the Spirit in our world. Quote, baptism of the Holy Spirit, unquote, means different things to different people. But we all have access to the power of the Spirit. I certainly don't want to seem to be belittling, speaking in tongues and other amazing things, and I certainly believe in them, even though they're not a common practice in our church, our branch of the church. But I do feel the need to point out the Spirit works in smaller, less obvious ways, too. Spirit is present with us as we go about our daily lives, enabling all of us to do mighty things we otherwise might not do. Small things maybe, but still important things, such as sharing a kind word with someone we don't know, perhaps helping someone in need, things that after a while we do more out of habit perhaps, but still started performing based on our faith in Jesus and continuing to do so. Most of these things may go unnoticed if we are not paying attention, but the Spirit binds us together in love, giving us comfort and guidance, filling us with joy and peace. The Spirit also gives all of us the means to join in the ministry of the church. But too many people these days fail to accept the role given to them and to all believers in participating in the mighty works of the Spirit being performed through the church. Too many come to church but don't join in the ministries of the church. For too long, ministry has been the area of the clergy, and most members have been reduced to mere bystanders and observers. But the same Spirit is active in each of us, clergy and non-clergy, all people giving all of us the power to do mighty things for Jesus. As Paul says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 6. We were all created differently, but we were created to work together for the same mission. Each person is created to be incomplete, so we can complete each other. 
And I think maybe that we don't have gifts or talents or opportunities to do a service or ministry. The Spirit provides what we need when we act in faith. And we can't do something on our own. We join together with someone who can, perhaps even with another church. Where people often fail these days is when they start to compare themselves to others, not seeing their own abilities and feeling too inferior and afraid to even try. Another road to failure is trying to simply copy what someone else is doing or try to be who they are instead of yourself. For us to genuinely serve Jesus, we as individuals must value who we are as God created us and seek to fulfill the task he created us for, each of us. A church is not a hierarchy with clergy at the top and everyone else at the bottom. A church is a living organism with each of its various parts doing what it was created to do. As Martin Luther taught us, we are a priesthood of believers, all called to fulfill the ministry of the church. When you fail to do your part, the church suffers, and its mission suffers. The one who unites us, the Spirit, is the one who gives us the power to be faithful and fruitful. Each of us needs to know our place in the church, for only then can we use the talents and gifts given to us by the Spirit. Paul Stevens writes in his book, Liberating the Laity, quote, There is a direct and living connection between the head, with a capital H, and every member of the body. No church leader in the New Testament is ever called the head of a local body. That title is reserved for Jesus. The head does not tell the hand to tell the foot what to do. The head is directly connected to the foot. Therefore, people find their ministries not being directed by the leaders, but by being motivated and equipped by the head. Head with a capital H, Jesus, in other words. Is it not the role of the people? It is not the role of the people just to come to church and be entertained. You are all vital to the health of our church and have a part to play. God created each of us as unique individuals, but he also created us to be integral parts of his people. As we remember the vows we have taken to support each other through baptism, we must always be asking ourselves if we are honoring those vows. Are we supporting each other? Are we doing our part? Are we a team or just a bunch of individuals doing their own thing and fighting to have their own way? Scott Peck, best known for his book, The Road Less Traveled, tells the story of the rabbi's gift. And I think it helps us understand the value that each one of us has when we are operating according to God's design. There was a monastery out in the woods that had fallen on hard times because of change to secular life of the world. And those in the monastery were getting older and older. They were dwindling in number. And there were only five members left five brothers left in this monastery, and they were all over age 70. 
They were seeing that the end of their life was coming soon. So one of the brothers was sent out to talk to a local rabbi to compare notes. They were commiserating together about the secular world in which they were living in, the low state of religiosity among people. And when the monk asked the rabbi for advice, the rabbi said, the only thing I can tell you is that one of you is the Messiah. So the monk went back to the brothers, other brothers, and reported back the commiserating that had taken place. And then the monk reported this rather strange thing that the rabbi had said, that one of us is the Messiah. So they began to think about that. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered this, wondered whether there was any possible significance to the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us. Could he possibly have met one of us monks here at the monastery? If that's the case, which one? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes, if he meant anyone, he probably meant Father Abbot. He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas. Certainly, Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly, he could not have meant Brother Elred. Elred gets crotchety at times. But come to think of it, even though he is a thorn in people's sides, if you look back on it, Elred is virtually always right often very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Elred, but surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so passive, a real nobody. But then, almost mysteriously, he always has a gift for somehow being there when you need him. He just magically appears by your side. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant me, I'm just an ordinary person. Yet supposing he did. Suppose I am the Messiah. Oh God, not me. I couldn't be that much for you, could I? Because of this, they started treating each other differently. Well, maybe it's Brother Alfred. Maybe it's Brother Thomas, that's the Messiah. And if that person is the Messiah, I better be caring for them and displaying my love for them in a way that is really showing respect. Because of that, the whole tone of life within the monastery started to change. One of them might be the Messiah. And it lifted the whole quality of life. And as people came out to have their picnics around the monastery and get a sense for what was happening there, they felt this kind of aliveness in that monastery. There was new life that was being formed. And because of that new life being formed, the monastery started to come back to life itself. Just because of the way they started to treat each other, because of one of them, <laughs> might be the Messiah. Well, of course, the translation for us is that Jesus lives in each one of us. Jesus is the church, and the Spirit is active in each of us. How do we treat each other? How do we view each other? 
how do we value each other? Can there be new life here, too? This is very important in terms of the way the church lives out its reality as being the extension of Jesus here on earth. All of this is formally symbolized and enabled through baptism. Baptism is the great equalizer. We come before God as equals and serve him as equals. Is the sound of water, the water of baptism, in you a whimper? Or is it going to be a roar? We haven't had a baptism here for a while, so let's review some of the key features of the ceremony. The officiant begins by saying, Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. All of those present then renounce all the forces of evil and are asked to publicly confess, quote, Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord, in union with the church which Christ has opened to all people of all ages, nations, and races, unquote. In other words, baptism is a formal recognition of a person's entering into the church universal, a church with a capital C, as well as membership of the particular local church where you made these vows. Those members of the church who are present make the following vows on behalf of the one being baptized, and also on behalf of all the people, all the members of God's church and people everywhere that aren't present at that particular baptism. The pastor addresses the congregation, and the congregation responds, well, the pastor says, to you as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both the rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ. The witnesses respond, we do. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these persons now before you in your care? And the witnesses respond, with God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness, that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that lead to life. When all candidates have been baptized, the pastor invites the congregation to welcome them, saying together as one people, now it is our joy to welcome our new brothers and sisters in Christ through baptism, you are incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and made to share in Christ's royal priesthood. We are all one in Christ Jesus. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you as members of the family of Christ. And so this morning, as we remember our baptism and those we have witnessed, we recommit ourselves to denouncing the forces of evil and recommitting to serve Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We recommit to accept the Spirit into our hearts and allow the Spirit to lead, comfort, and teach us. 
let us recommit to surround each other with a committee of love and forgiveness, recognizing that Jesus is in each of us. And let us accept our place in the kingdom of God, use the blessings we have been given to advance the mission of Jesus' holy church, proclaiming his saving grace and serving as his loving hands in service and comfort to our world. Amen.